0: This is The Woman Behind the Business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livis.
1: This week on The Woman Behind the Business, facts versus fiction, the laws of attraction. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today we're spending most of the show helping you get your legal affairs in order. Now, many of us at one point in time worked for another company, and when we did, there were certain expectations that we had. One, to get paid on time. Two, that an HR department would be present to assist us with any internal issues that might arise. And three, that the company would have a competitive benefits package. Okay, the latter might have only been important to me. But nonetheless, now that you're the boss, do you fulfill those basic expectations to ensure that your employees are happy at work? Ms. Jessica Childress is the managing attorney and founder of The Childress Firm an employment law firm based in our nation's capital, where she litigates retaliation, discrimination, sexual harassment, non-competition, trade secrets, unfair labor practice, and whistleblower cases. As a highly decorated young professional lawyer, she has been featured in Forbes, Essence, The Huffington Post's, Success and Entrepreneur magazines. And if you're still not impressed, she's also received the National Bar Association's 2018 Young Lawyer of the Year Award, the National Bar Association's 40 Under 40 Best Advocates Award, and she's been recognized by the National Black Lawyers as one of the top 100 Black attorneys. I'm super excited to introduce to you all my friend, Miss Jessica Childress. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Angel. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored. So when you graduated from UVA in what, 2007? 2007
2: undergrad and 2010 from the law school.
1: Okay. It seems like you just came out as a beast, like in beast mode, like I am here. <laughs> I'm you know ready to conquer this particular industry. What made you decide to go into this industry? Sure.
2: Well, I've always been an advocate. I think- advocacy. I was just born an advocate. My mother probably did not appreciate that <laughs> when I was five years old, always having some sort of position that was contrary to my parents. But uh, I just love the idea of advocacy. I love the role of an advocate. Um, I was on my high school debate team. So in that role, we were many lawyers, at least we thought we were wanted to be uh, advocating and arguing a position. So mm-hmm. that role just carried itself with me throughout my career. what In college, I was a counselor on our Judiciary Committee at UVA, mm-hmm. and then uh, naturally went to law school. And there, continued to be an advocate. So I think it was just something that I couldn't let go of. And still today, I'm still doing it. So why specifically enter, um, um, employment law? I wanted to be a civil rights attorney. I've always loved the idea of rights um, and advocating for people's rights. Mm-hmm. The employment industry and employment laws really do attach to civil rights. There are so many civil rights laws that are at play in the workplace. So when I ended my federal clerkship, I was a federal law clerk for a a judge uh, out in Maryland. uh, One of my mentors, uh, Judge Alexander Williams Jr., and he's now retired. But after my clerkship, I went into what's called big law, so a global law firm, and. Fell into employment law, but was really, really excited about that opportunity because it allowed me to see law from a management side. Mm-hmm. But I had the opportunity to counsel management about employment laws that were at play every day. Mm-hmm. So employment law gave me the opportunity to, number one, be a civil rights attorney now, I take on mainly employee side cases, but I'm still able to be that civil rights advocate, teaching both management and employees about their civil rights and and exercising um,
1: the power behind those rights. Now, when you worked for um, other uh, institutions and agencies and things like that, what was it that made you decide, you know what, I'm ready to go out on my own? Sure. That was...
2: I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I I think you're born an entrepreneur. You know this, being the <laughs> woman behind the business. <laughs> you, you understand that entrepreneurial drive and that never leaves you. In corporate, I woke up every day curious, but that fire just wasn't behind me. I didn't have that fire um, that drives an entrepreneur. I really wanted to be able to take on my own cases and run a business and that fire probably had always it had not probably it had always been inside of me At a point in my career, I just said, you know, I don't want to walk into someone else's office one more day. I want to start my own thing. I want to run cases the way that I want to run cases. I want to take on the matters that I want to take on. I do want to represent employees, more employees. And that is, or I really wasn't representing employees when I was in corporate. So I wanted to take on employee cases and be that civil rights attorney that I had always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, I mean, the rest is history. I made a decision one day. I said, this is the day I'm actually going to give my notice of resignation. Mm -hmm. I wrote it down in my calendar. I circled it. And I said, this is the day. Uh, That was a bit terrifying. And we can talk more about that later, about that jump from working for somebody to working for yourself. Mm -hmm. But I made a personal decision, and I was steadfast with it.
1: Now, a lot of times we tell ourselves, I'm ready. Um, Like you wrote that date in your calendar. How hard was it to stick to it? Because I feel like life happens and things come into play and you're like, oh, hold up. Let me let me go another two weeks. where I know (laughs) I got this guaranteed paycheck. So, you know, how did you remain um, dedicated to that date?
2: Well, there were some circumstances at play before I gave my notice of resignation. I'd had a pretty invasive surgery, and for six weeks, I just had to sit at home and think. And that's a luxury, actually. You know, it's it's funny to say that s- surgery is a luxury, but it gives you the luxury of just having some still time and some meditation time, just to sit down when no one's bothering you and people are actually waiting on you, which is right. very nice. <laughs> um, but during that time, I had an opportunity to think about what I would be doing if I had the opportunity to do anything I wanted to do. And having that reflection time, I came back to my job knowing that I did not want to go back into a big law firm as an associate. I just, I knew I wanted to start my own thing. And I had had some time to really think about what that meant. So that was the impetus really behind starting my own thing. Now, was that easy to stick to that date? No. I circled a date on my calendar and have many, many scribbles because that date changed. Mm -hmm. Number, I was scared. I was very afraid to make that jump. It's Mm -hmm. not as easy as just saying, okay, I'm leaving. I mean, I made the decision I was going to do it, but actually committing to the date that I initially set, No, that date definitely was circled many times. (laughs) And I finally got around to saying one day, "Okay, this date is circled. Here's the letter. You're going to go ahead and take it to the appropriate person and make this decision.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. It's interesting because even though that's something that applies when we first take the plunge, I also feel that it's applicable in other areas of our lives, you know, but once you get past that first, like, I am walking completely by blind faith um, because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where that next paycheck is going to come from per se. Um, So believing that you can and that you have the skill set and that you are enough, I think is so key. Um, And once, like I said, once you do it that one time, then it's so much easier to do it after because you're like, okay, if I got brought through this first time, let me just trust that I'm gonna get brought through this next time. So no, absolutely. I think
2: that um, fear really holds us back from so many things that we want to do, whether that's in your interpersonal relationships or your entrepreneurial journeys. And I've been listening to just a number of thought leaders. Um, Brene Brown is Mm -hmm. one of the scholars that I listen to and read, but she talks about Fear And how leaders are both courageous, but also very very afraid. Mm -hmm. But leaders are able to pursue exactly, they're able to overcome that fear in spite of and, and exercise courageousness in spite of that fear. And that's what separates a leader from... Not the rest of the crowd. Exactly.
1: So a lot of our listeners are business owners. So in most cases, they probably wouldn't want to hear from your office, um, especially if they're on the receiving end of a call from a complaint about one of their employees. So in what ways do you work with business owners to help them get their businesses in order?
2: Sure. My firm does a number of free, actually, small what? trainings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on compliance with D.C., Maryland, and Virginia law um, on sexual harassment. So there are definitely components of my practice that deal with with counseling for small businesses. So an employee handbook actually is Mm. really, really critical. And a lot of small business owners, they think that, oh, we only have two or three people. We don't need an employee handbook. That's absolutely false. You really do need a good guideline, a very strong guideline that's compliant with whatever jurisdictions you're you're operating in um, to guide your employment practices. So that's a way that I work with small businesses, but certainly counseling and trainings and we're very very fortunate to be within the DMV where you have a number I'm you know, I shout out to my colleagues. We have a number of very very accomplished and intelligent attorneys here Mm -hmm. who specialize in not only employment law, but just transactional law altogether who can assist. And it's really, if you're starting a business in DC, if you have an established business, it's really critical to have legal counsel to guide you at the initial stages so that you're not getting a letter from me or- (laughs) On the receiving end. On the receiving end or from an enforcement agency because Mm -hmm. you haven't followed proper legal guidelines.
1: guidelines. Now- Let's go back to the employee handbook. Is that something that you provide as like a guide? And then people can come back to you and be like, okay, like, is this good? You know, we're, you know, infusing our culture into what this employee handbook looks like.
2: It comes in both forms. So many companies, they have some, well, in a, I'll say it's a bad scenario when someone's pulled something off of the internet because Mm -hmm. it's typically not going to, it's very standard. It's probably not going to be catered towards the law in your jurisdiction. It's Mm -hmm. very, very cookie cutter. And so you really don't want to over-obligate yourself and have provisions that you don't have to follow because you're not within the jurisdiction uh, for which the employee handbook was made. Also, you, we live in DC, very, very employee friendly. So, if you've pulled something from the internet, most likely you're not including. DC laws, which Mm -hmm. are, like I said, very employee friendly. So you're creating a legal trap for yourself there. So when someone pulls something off of the internet, it's actually a lot more work for the employer, for the uh, legal counsel to go back and redo it. You might as well just start from scratch. And you can create an employee handbook that does infuse your culture into the handbook. It doesn't have to be this very scary document. It can Mm -hmm. have elements of the company culture within the handbook. But it's really important. I mean, the substantive piece of the is the law. You really want to make sure that employees are informed about their leave rights, informed about how to report a complaint of harassment, um, that harassment won't be tolerated, and making sure that employees not only have that agreement or have that handbook rather, but that they sign it, acknowledge that they received it.
1: Now, the employee handbook, is that something that your office, because I know you said you guys do some free counseling. Is that something that you help them create in that free counseling or y'all, she's shaking her head, y'all. So (laughs) I'm, you know, I like to make sure I get the free part out because people tune into that part and they'll be like, well, I'm about to call her office right now. So what is it about the, like the counseling that is a free session? Sure. Unfortunately, my office
2: would not be a free session. There would be I do give trainings on things to include in your handbook, but Mm -hmm. you need your own. The trainings are not legal advice. Mm -hmm. And I'm very clear in all of my trainings that this is not legal advice. I'm a lawyer, but I'm not you're a lawyer. Right. And so that's just really important in terms of establishing an attorney client relationship. Um, legal counsel, unfortunately, it's expensive. There are organizations that do offer pro bono help. So the DC Bar Association has employment law clinics. Um, there are other organizations that offer clinics for small businesses. Mm-hmm. And we, we just have an abundance of resources here. Um, my practice is a small practice. So unfortunately, right now, that's not a free service, right? And I think that the misconception with lawyers is that you know you guys have it all in your head, but the truth is that we do have to do a lot of legal prep research, work. and there mm-hmm. is prep work, and there's a lot of time. I know I give a lot of time and um, and just diligence to my mm-hmm. clients. That's my obligation as an attorney, and it's something that I just wouldn't do it any other way. Right. Um, so that time, you know, that's our craft, and you know that's and that's what we're compensated for.
1: Right now. Being that, even though I know that you kind of focus on like representing the employees um, in that same light, what would you say are the top three areas that small businesses lack in um, in regards to legal protection or merely equipping themselves um, for success with building a team? Sure. With building a team,
2: when you're working with others, I think it's critical that you understand your intellectual property rights. So when you're working with freelancers, you're creating content, and it's critical that you own that content because often that is your Piece of your formula. That, that, that's your formula. That's what you're selling. Um, that's the lucrative piece of your business. So if you're not protecting it through agreements, through non disclosure agreements, through transfer, uh, assignment of rights agreements, uh, work for hire agreements, these are all copyright uh, agreements, you're really doing yourself a disservice because later on, someone who creates the work for you could say that they own it. Mm-hmm. And then you're in this huge Facebook-like litigation, and you just don't want to do that. And I think all of us, everyone listening to your show, has a big vision for their business. And so starting from day one, you should be implementing the proper mechanisms and practices for protecting your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Um, also, in terms of onboarding people, setting the company culture out at the outset, Um, I, the majority of my practice is discrimination and harassment. And so you can't onboard people who don't understand that that's not going to be tolerated within your organization. It can cost you just a ton of time and a ton of money litigating those types of claims. So people who are coming in to the organization need to understand that you are an organization that doesn't tolerate any type of discrimination, harassment, bullying, and set that standard from the top. Uh, And the last, uh, just making sure that you are staying up to date with the changing employment laws, especially if you're living in the District of Columbia, in this general area, area. Maryland as well. Maryland's very employee friendly. Virginia, not so much. So there are not as many employment law updates that come out of Virginia, but certainly in D.C. and Maryland, you see a lot of changes. So making sure that you're up to date, Uh, you can sign up for Google Alerts, just Noting employment law changes, also sign up for client alerts from different law firms. That'll give you a nice overview of the changing terrain of employment laws.
0: Okay,
1: wow, that was that was very helpful. Thank you. Now, I was recently speaking to um, a close friend of mine about the importance of um, contracts and not starting work until you have a contract in place. How important is this from a legal perspective? I think it's critical.
2: You're if, if, if people often work with people that they know and like and that's wonderful i think we can do business together and we have the best of relations starting off But there are things that get lost in translation, and I think it makes the relationship, if you're working with a friend, it actually makes the relationship so much better. If you can say, well, this was my understanding. Contracts make everything clear from the outset what the party's intentions are, what the party's expectations are. And when you're doing business, I think everyone needs clear expectations. So contracts are just absolutely uh, just essential. I think you also, they, number one, they're essential, but they also give just the appearance of professionalism. Mm-hmm. If we're doing business, it's, these are my expectations as a business owner. So I operate with agreements and that's just a, a professionalism thing. And standard. It's standard.
1: I like to say a standard for excellence. Um, now with that, um, I know when I first started out, I used statements of work a lot. I may not have had like a full blown like proposal well, the full blown proposal and the contract lingo part. This is when I first started. I'm better now. Um, but how important is it to have a statement of work in conjunction with a contract or is a statement of work enough? for that clarity and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what the work is. Um, And, you know, at the end, just having like, these are my terms in regards to how I expect to get paid.
2: In terms of a statement of work, the contract really just needs to be a clear expectation between the parties. So there is, with respect to the statement of work, the contract doesn't have to be formal, but it does. The four corners of the agreement need to express what clearly expressed what the party's intentions are. So whether you call it a statement of work or, uh, the, or a standard operating procedure, whatever you call it, as long as the statement articulates clearly what the party's expectations are, that there are actual promises that are being exchanged. So there's something called consideration. Mm. So in order for a promise, in order for a contract to be performed, there has to be some sort of consideration. It can be a penny. In um, In contract law, it's called a... And I hope all of my legal eagles will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's called like a peppercorn. I had no idea what that was. (laughs) And I looked it up at one point. But it can be anything of value that's exchanged for the performance of the contract. So it doesn't have to be a formal agreement. It just needs to be in writing and something that's exchanged between the parties. And then some consideration needs to be exchanged.
1: Okay. All right. Awesome. Now, when it comes to representing your employees, because this is your bread and butter, this is what you love. The same reason why you started nearly 10 years ago, do you still have that same passion for your why in representing your clients? I do.
2: I think the moment that I don't, I'm going to stop practicing because I think you have to have that why. I mean you have to, you know, it's employment law is a very emotional type of law. Your job, it's it's your value it's it's how you support yourself. It's how you support your family. So I love every client that I have. Um, I'm grateful for those clients. And I definitely, and now that they're, you know, my clients I and mean, everyone was my client, even when I worked for other organizations, but now these are clients that come into my office. They're right. clients that, you know, that I deal with on a day to day basis, and so I'm very fortunate and grateful mm-hmm. um, for those clients who've trusted me. And I definitely have that
1: passion even even more so than I've ever had it. Now, when you talk about that passion, and when you talk about like you know, now that you have your own business and this is full fledged, Jessica Childress, this is what she's created. How do you go about handling your marketing? Because, like you said earlier, DC is. Full of amazing lawyers. How do you market your firm to make sure that people know hey, this is what I do, this is what sets us apart? Sure.
2: I've been very fortunate to be a member of a number of bar associations, so the National Bar Association, the Washington Bar Association, uh, GWAC, the Greater Washington Area Chapter of the National Bar Association, which is the Women's Bar Association. And those colleagues have been a great referral source for me. Uh, Also, I speak and do trainings, and those types of uh, networking events have been wonderful. So there really isn't a hardcore marketing push A lot of my referrals and business comes through word of mouth and people who I've worked with uh, in the past, uh, other clients. Um, That's really the way that the marketing, I guess, quote in air quotes, effort has worked. But I've just been very fortunate to have great colleagues who've referred business to me and just uh, networking events that have have garnered business.
1: And that's what we like to call it, the woman behind the business, um, showing that your network can increase your net worth. Absolutely. So a a lot of times people are like, oh, like I don't have time to do this and I don't have time to do this. But what is your network and how is your network working for you? Absolutely. I think networking and it doesn't have,
2: networking doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. It really, people do business with people that they know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And when you are a member of organizations, you are interacting with people on a personal and social level. And that's how you develop those types of relationships where people know, Hey, you know, I met this person. I'm an angel. She's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to tell people about her. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that you develop business if you are in business for
1: yourself exactly and that's how we met that's exactly (laughs) how we met all right so this has been so good thank you for sharing so much um, of your legal knowledge with us and when we return we'll be going to introduce our listeners to the author jessica childress and the woman behind jurisprudence stay with us Welcome to the WBB Legal Minute featuring Nayasha West. She's the principal attorney at West Law Firm, where she specializes in business law and family law and bankruptcy. Today, we're going to have a quick conversation about the different ways to get your business established. Now, Nayasha, what are those different entities that you can choose from when it comes time to establish your business?
3: The most popular Entities that most business owners um, choose to go with when forming their businesses are uh, sole proprietorship, LLCs, or a corporation. Um, And the entity that you choose depends on what the business is that you're getting into. If you're getting into a business where you'll have very low interaction with the public... (laughs) And therefore, very low liability. um, Then, a sole proprietorship may be a good option for you. Um, If you're getting into any other business where you're going to be interacting with the public, um, selling them goods or services, then you would want to choose an LLC or a corporation. Um, And the reason is, is because um, with those entities, the business owner is personally protected. So your assets are personally protected. So. If I have a business and my business is a store and somebody comes into my store and slips and falls, if I have an LLC or a corporation, the person who slipped and fell would sue the company and they wouldn't sue me. Mm-hmm. So what this means is that my house and my personal assets are protected and they would be limited to the assets of the of the, the company. company, yes.
1: Okay. Now, really quickly... What's the difference between an S-corp and a corp?
3: So an S-corp is a corporation that doesn't have self-employment taxes, um, whereas a corporation has a whole host of other um, of other taxes that the um business would have to pay um the biggest problem not problem but with uh c corporations um the business owner may be subjected to double taxation Hmm. um on their dividends with the s corp um they wouldn't be subjected to double taxation
1: okay all right wonderful this was great thank you so much for sharing this legal minute with us
3: you're welcome
1: all right to learn more how do people get in contact with you
3: You can contact me at the West Law Firm. My website address is nawestlaw.com or my telephone number is 301-798-4100. All
1: right. Awesome. Thank you. And stay tuned for the rest of The Woman Behind the Business. Welcome back to the Woman Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livas, and we have been speaking with Ms. Jessica Childress, an employment attorney in Washington, D.C., who is author and founder of Jurisprudence, LLC, a children's content company that produces products and services to teach children about law. Welcome back, Jessica. Thank you. Now, tell us a little bit about the concept for getting jurisprudence
2: up and out. Absolutely. This is like my baby jurisprudence. I don't have children, but this is my child. Uh, Jurisprudence was born in 2012. I started writing about this 11 year old lawyer who lives in DC. What drove you to start writing? I was a nerd. I still am a nerd, actually. I'm a self-professed nerd. I loved reading as a kid. Um, I had American Girl dolls, and I loved the Addie character. She was a slave. She grew up in North Carolina, escaped from slavery. And I loved reading her story. And I loved seeing this character who looked like me Mm -hmm. and who had a family that looked like me. And I wanted to create a modern-day, industrious girl of color who was smart, and who changed the world. And that, however, I don't know how the character herself was born. I think she was really the combination of me and other characters that I just enjoyed and admired. Uh, But one day I was talking to my mom and I said, mom, I'm really thinking about this children's book character and I want her to be a lawyer and I want her just to be a reader and I want her to be smart and I want her to take on cases. And we started spitballing names and came up with the name of jurisprudence and the character just organically evolved and And I've been in love with jurisprudence ever since.
1: (laughs) Now, going back to what you were saying, she's an 11-year-old. She's an attorney who fights for children's right to vote, correct? That's right, in the first book. First book, yes. So talk to me a little bit about, like, your reasoning for like that being kind of the storyline. Do you feel as though children should have the right to vote? (laughs) That's a great question. So I started
2: writing this book in 2012 and I was drafting and thinking about just how kids, what type of cases kids would like, what type of cases would be important to kids if they were actually um, able to participate in the electoral process in a meaningful way. And what would the challenges be? And of course, the challenge would be that you don't have the right to vote. As Mm -hmm. a child, but there have also been many other groups, and there's still groups that don't have the right to the franchise and don't have the right to vote. So I thought that it was an important topic, but one that kids could relate to and could relate to on a on an interpersonal level, but also relate to on a societal level because you learn about the Voting Rights Act of 1965 in your history classes. You learn about the women's suffrage movement movement in your history classes. So I really wanted to bring those concepts to the fore um, through a child who just saw in the book, I'll give you guys, no spoilers, but I'll give you a general synopsis for those who haven't read the first book, The Briefcase of Juris Jurisprudence Prudence. Juris Prudence uh, knows that the mayor is running for reelection and he doesn't like kids and he shut down homeless shelters and wants to take away recess. And Juris, this 11-year-old lawyer and her best friends find out about it and they attempt to change the law so that kids can vote. And so she takes on the 14th Amendment and she argues a case in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia because she really feels passionate that she does not want this horrible mayor to be reelected and she doesn't want kids to suffer because he has been reelected. So should kids vote? We actually take on this matter in mock trial programs (laughs) that my company puts on uh, from time to time. And kids actually have really great uh, responses to this question. Do I think that children should vote? Maybe we should lower the voting age. I'll, I'll refrain. I want people to come up with their own opinions about that. But I did think that it would engage, it would start good discussion amongst children and their families.
1: Now, how did you um, start the writing process, um, you know, getting, you know, going pen and paper and be like, okay, I'm about to start writing this book. How did you decide whether or not it was going to be like a, <clears throat> a novel or like a, you know, quick read for, you know, let's say six-year-olds, eight-year-olds. Like, so what age is the book for as well? Sure. When I first started writing, I had no idea that
2: years later I would start a company. That would produce products and services that were inspired by jurisprudence and continued to produce books. So I started writing in 2012, and I went to the Mac store in Tyson's Corner, and I bought a new MacBook. And I said, "This is going to be the computer on which I write my first novel." And I downloaded the app, uh, Scrivener, which is a writing app that helps you organize your writing. And so I I sat with the MacBook for a little while, but before that, I just started drafting. I'd taken a vacation. I'd taken a staycation, actually. I was working at a large law firm, and I took a week. I said, during this week, I'm staying at home, and I'm actually going to start just drafting my notes for this book. I'm going to start getting down the characters, thinking about the characters. What do they like? What does the What's my big vision for jurisprudence? And I still have that notebook where I wrote out how jurisprudence, uh, what she likes, how she acts, what her passions are and i wrote about all of her characters in that notebook and it's filled with post it notes it's filled with you know why i was writing and that's just a keepsake that i have for myself but the actual writing process really started or i guess the drafting process started when i bought my macbook and started just banging out those words. And I use my nights and my weekends and holiday time to write out the novel because I did want a novel. Um, Now the company's expanded and there are six jurisprudence books out, including the first, the chapter book. But there is a younger, there there are a couple of books that are geared towards a younger audience, five to seven. The Mm -hmm. chapter book is geared towards seven to
1: 12 year olds. And how long is the novel? It is 180 pages. Oh, Wow. That's like a legit novel. It's a legit novel. <laughs> wow. That's, right. That's awesome. Thank you. So, this year you had an opportunity to pitch itself South by Southwest. Talk to us a little bit about that experience.
2: That was phenomenal. Well, South by Southwest was phenomenal in and of itself. It was my first time going. And I just, uh, I thought it was magical meeting so many innovators and creatives and people who were very inspired to change the world around them through innovation. I got the opportunity to pitch through Black Girl Ventures. Uh, Shout out to Shelly Bell for establishing this amazing organization that brings together Black women entrepreneurs and provides resources for Black women entrepreneurs. But I had the opportunity to pitch uh, a new product that is coming out for Jurisprudence. And it was just wonderful to meet the other entrepreneurs, to hear about their products, to establish this bond. And I mean, I just can't say how blessed I was for that opportunity. So,
1: what happened? Like, I did not, I, mean- <laughs>
2: I, I I didn't win the pitch competition, uh, but it was a wonderful experience. Um it was number one, just meeting people, mm-hmm. um having the going through the exercise of pitching. um I didn't win, but it was for me, it was a There's win someone, just yeah. because. Number one, you get to tell the world about your product. You get and what is the product? So this is a restorative justice. This is a program that's based on the idea of restorative justice. And right now we're rolling it out. But restorative justice is the concept that kids should or people should have a role in restoring the community when there's a harm to the community. And so the idea is that students who violate what would be the jurisprudence constitution at a school would actually have a role in adjudicating their own discipline. So this is a programmatic approach to dealing with discipline, but also establishing school culture and giving kids a voice in the disciplinary process. So
1: they would essentially say, okay, for missing this many days of is- school, School. These are the repercussions, or you know, getting into a fight. This is the repercussion. Is that kind of how it would work? Or? A bit
2: less formulaic than that. Okay. So, when a child would violate the what's called the jurisprudence constitution, which is a core set of values, they would be given a subpoena, like in the justice system, and the subpoena would give them the opportunity to go in front of their peers, and the peers would actually have a role, a peer court. They would have a role in adjudicating and listening to the violation behavior, but coming up with
1: this collaborative approach to what the sanction would be. It's essentially putting them on trial. (laughs) That sounds very punitive. That sounds very punitive.
2: But the idea is that the collective would come together and and decide what would happen as a community, as opposed to an overly punitive sentence where the child violator had no role in their discipline. Right. So the whole community comes together. And that's the idea of restorative justice and restorative
1: discipline. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Now, let's see, where are we going from here? Now, when it comes to um, what's next, because I know you said you have your products, you also have the books, you know, what's your vision for jurisprudence? Yeah, that's
2: a wonderful, I think about that every day. I mean, I want kids, the best thing that can happen to me as a CEO of a company is when a kid comes up to me and says, I really love jurisprudence. I love reading this book. And now I want to be a lawyer. Now, whether that kid becomes a lawyer or not, that really doesn't matter. But I want the child to at least be exposed to the law, to be exposed to what jurisprudence represents, which is someone who loves education and who's a leader. Mm -hmm. And so whether that kid becomes a lawyer, the kid could become the first person to cure cancer. Um, That kid could, Become an astronaut, the kid could become a teacher, but I want that kid to be exposed to the tenets that JP teaches. So the vision is to continue to produce books. Definitely, books are at the core of what jurisprudence stands for, but also to continue to produce innovative. Programming, and I'm looking forward to the rollout of the Jurisprudence Judiciary Program. I really think that that's going to be a wonderful program to implement in schools for a number of reasons. And we, you can bring me back on the show <laughs> to talk about that and why I think it's going to be a great program. Uh, but just continuing to look, looking forward to continuing the liter, the literacy movement, and getting more books out that bring a character that's just not represented in mainstream children's books. So
1: it's so funny. Um, I find that for myself, I remember when I first started talking about launching a woman behind the business and everyone was like, well, you got to get your, you know, your bread and butter together first. Your main business, make sure that's up and flowing like way before you start your nonprofit side of things. And I was so like, mm. No. And it's amazing, like, even just sitting here watching your your energy, right? Like, when you talk about what you do, you're happy. You know, you're like, yes, I help people. I make sure, you know, I'm fighting for people's rights. I'm an advocate. But when you talk about JP, you light up. You're like a totally another person. Wow. And I think wow. that it stems from when you're doing work that is something that you're doing. Yes, you enjoy it. But when you birth something, Mm -hmm. when you create it from the ground up, from the vision, from the time that you've invested in building those characters and writing how you want to write, nobody told you how to do those things. Nobody told you this is the formula that we want you to follow to do this. When you go to law school, you're taught this is what you do. This is how you do it. It's a structure to it. But when you birth it, you're creating that structure. You're creating the vision and the formula for what this success is going to look like. So when you have a child come to you, it's so much more meaningful to you because you built this from that MacBook purchase to the first stroke of that key to the first stroke of the pen. And now you have something that's tangible that people can see, touch, feel and walk away with that you created. And it's, it's... one of those things where unless you've experienced it, it's like you have no idea like what you're missing. And even now you're like, <laughs> I
2: know I'm going to cry. <laughs> I think Angel articulated this so perfectly and beautifully, but I I couldn't agree more. I think that the law, there's a road traveled. There are people, you know, there are thousands of attorneys. We could, you know, with mm-hmm. the proverbially throw a rock in DC and you can hit a lawyer. Like that's the, that's what they say about DC, but there is always someone you can call. Mm-hmm. You can figure it out. Um, what I think is challenging is to have a creative business because you don't know sometimes what the next step is. Oftentimes you're like, whoa, there's so many ways I could go here. Am I going the right way? People are not always going to like your content. Mm -hmm. People are going to give you those rejection letters. I can't tell you how many agents I shopped jurisprudence to when I first started writing. So there's going to be a ton of rejection, a ton of people who don't understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, A number of people who just think that you're nuts. And so that is a, just another facet of entrepreneurialism when you're doing something that is the road less traveled mm-hmm. and that you have to get over that fear in order to continue and to thrive. Uh, but it's certainly something that's beautiful because you did birth it and you birthed it in the face of doubt, internal doubt and external doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also there is no blueprint.
1: You just, and it's that's exciting, but it's scary. Mm-hmm. It is, it is, and that's so true. All right, so now we've come to the point in the show um, where I'm gonna ask you to share your moment from the valley. Now, your moment from the valley is essentially a time where you did not know how you were going to get out of a particular situation. So you're going to share with us what that moment was, how you got out of it, and what was waiting for you on the other side. I'll give you a few minutes to think about it. And right now, we are going to listen to a little bit of Jill Scott. Stay with us.
0: That look on your face Says you're going through some things And for sure Maybe for sure I'm here mm-hmm. Here for you, baby yes. Whatever it is Trouble is deep I can see by your Talk to me, baby. I am your shelter. You're safe from harm, tornado, lightning, hurricane. Can't get by me. Come under my glow, feel the energy. Let go, lay your burdens Let down. Go. I am your shelter. You're safe from harm, Let go. tornado. You see by the way you walk and how you got your shoes on Baby, everybody get wet when the rain's born Can't stop now, cause the wind is falling It's a fact of the universe that sometimes life is pain And it can hurt, but I know that it'll get better Because you are gonna do worse, honey. hey Whatever it is, trouble is deep I can tell by your eyes, they're heavy to me. Oh, my baby, I am. I am your shelter, you're safe I from harm. Tornado, lightning, hurricane, can't keep by me. Come under my roof, feel trouble Tornado, on lightning, hurricane, well, get, get by me, come everything. under my roof, Good
1: We're back. All right, Jessica, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, go ahead. Sure. So I have
2: touched on this a bit, but my moment from the valley, when I came back from my surgery in 2016, and I came back into a large law firm, the large law firm I was working for, and I knew that I just wasn't inspired every day to be a big law firm associate. It just wasn't giving me that fire and I felt this burning desire to, number one, start my children's content company, but also to have be my own boss as a lawyer. And that was fearful. And I had no idea how I was going to do it. I mean, I really, I don't think I had a great plan. I hear a lot of people who have started law firms and they had this awesome business plan. They had this marketing plan and they had just everything in place. But I knew that... I wanted to leave. I just was not happy doing the day-to-day things that I was doing in a law firm. And I wanted to be creative. And I had this fire inside of me to start something that I believed could be big and could really excite me every single day. So that's when I started that circling process on my calendar to say, okay, how long can you stay? How long are you going to stick it out here? And I... You know, went back and forth with that date because it was, like I said before earlier in the show, it was very, very scary. But at a point I said, mm, this is the day. This is the day I'm going to do it. And I had to get over that fear. I had to get over people telling me when I told them I was leaving, you're crazy. Why would you do that? you know, I was making a great salary and I was at a very prestigious firm. And, you know, I'd lived a life where I had done, I checked all the boxes. I'd worked at the Department of Justice and clerked for a federal judge and gone to a top 10 law school. And so people typically, you know, on that trajectory did not go out and start their own firm and start some kid's content company. That's just, that wasn't the traditional path. And that lack of tradition really scared me. But I made the decision that I don't want to go on the road travel. I've never considered myself the road travel type of person. And so understanding and doing some really deep digging into who I was got me out of that valley of fear. And since that day, I left that firm and I never looked back and I've had just I can't tell you how blessed I've been. I've just had, I'm going to cry, but it's just been a, the the best thing ever to go out and start my own thing. And I've just been fortunate that, you know, it's, I didn't live in a life of fear.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. No, that that Thank awesome. you, Angel. Thank you. That's really, really awesome. And I'm sure that um, your words have inspired somebody listening um, who may be in that place, which is why we share the moments from the valley, because a lot of times you hear people's story, but you don't hear their valley. And I just believe that in learning from other people's valley, it can give people the courage to stand up and pursue where it I believe God has ordained us to go. Absolutely, so, thank you thank for you. sharing. Um, all right, would you like to share some social media information so people can stay in contact? Absolutely, thank you. You can find Jurisprudence on Juris
2: P Prudence. Don't forget the P. And Juris P Prudence is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find the Childress Firm at. Our website,
1: www.thechildrensfirm.com. Awesome. Now, the one question I did not ask, and I have to ask because then I'll be, like, kicking myself later. How do you manage a personal life with everything else that you have going?
2: It's challenging. Um, I think self-care, number one, is very important. So if I listen to my body and I listen to my mind – and I do things. I mean, I will often, you know, be walking and I will say, you know, no, no checking emails now. You're walking, you're meditating, you're in a mindful space. Um, I try to have a pretty consistent running schedule. I mean, that's kind of the this year thing, but, <laughs> but it's something that I've committed to. So I've made promises to myself. Um, you know, I have a boyfriend, so that's important to have that time of just you know making sure that you're present. And I think as entrepreneurs we can be very, very all over the place mm-hmm. and making sure that we are present and work will always be there. Um, so prioritizing just as you prioritize your clients and your engagements, making sure that you cut out time to say, no, this weekend or you know this day, I'm not doing anything. I think silent days and quiet days are really important. And not every event is something, I think in the DMV, we, we're on <laughs> We're evented. <laughs> but not every event is an event, an event that's critical for mm-hmm. you to attend. And having quiet time. I love it. I love quiet time. I love time on my porch. I love time reading and listening to podcasts. So that's the way that I create that self-care, personal time. It's really saying
1: no to almost as many things as I say yes to. Now, I want to say this is so much easier said than done. Oh, it is. It's so much easier <laughs> said than done. But it is definitely very important. and um, that self-care, especially as women in business, we have to make sure that we take care of ourselves so that we can be our best self for our family, our friends, and of course our clients. Absolutely. It's you can't give to
2: anyone unless your
1: cup is filled. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is our show for today. Um, please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com, and pick up your copy of the Washington Informer to see the woman behind the business spotlight section. And of course, follow us on social media at WBB Talk. Next year, we are hosting our Vision 2020 conference, which is taking place in Nassau, Bahamas, at the beautiful Bahamar. Um, resort and conference center you can register online today at wbbtalk.com slash registration a special thank you to our show producer shane lewis and our program director max myrick until next time stay blessed